and welcome to Tabletop Game Talk, On Topic, a show where we talk about tabletop gaming topics of all kinds. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. Today we're talking about the promises the game industry makes and sometimes keeps. Well, mostly we'll be talking about when they don't keep those promises. Why would a publisher break a promise? How should that change how we see those publishers? And how much should we care at all? But first, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison and the SGC. And welcome to our newest patron, Paul Raymer. Paul, thank you for emailing us and letting us know how to say your name, because we would have never gotten that one right. And a Butchered huge thank you. it. Yeah. <laughs> well, Paul is really hard it, to pronounce. It, Paul is the hardest. <laughs> Pool. Well, it sounds so simple, right? When you say Raymer, it's like, wait, how could you pronounce that wrongly? And the way you do it is apparently you spell it in a German way, which... I would have pronounced Romer, but never, because we did not even type Romer into the notes. It is always going to be Raymer. So, Paul, we got your name. Thank you. Um, Also, thank you to all of our other patrons. Okay. So, what have you guys been up to? It feels like it's been a really long time since we talked, but I think this is the shortest gap. (laughs) Just This month. It's only been like five days. Yeah. The last few weeks have just been crazy with all the scheduling and changes and stuff. And I just feel like we're not on, not quite back into it yet. No. (laughs) (laughs) No, we're not. I'm tired, man. You're Um, always Even though I think this is the earliest we've recorded, too. (laughs) Yeah, we've been doing really weird times. So normally, if if you're a listener of the show and and of our banter and you don't skip all this as... I assume most people do. Um, we normally record 8.30 on Sunday, but that almost never happens, or at least in the last like two months, it hasn't happened. It's been all over the place, and oftentimes Monday night is when we start recording. But uh, no, we're on a Sunday night. This is, this is, it's just weird. It just feels weird. Yeah. But um, let's see. Uh, I went to a housewarming today, and Sydney and I grabbed a couple of people and we sat in a corner and played Keyforge the entire time and did not socialize with anyone else. So that was fun. It was a very <laughs> nice house, though. Um, yeah. But otherwise, life has just been super, super busy. Sydney's traveling last week, this week, and next week. So I'm in single dad mode during like the Monday through Friday era. And daycare is closed on Monday. So that's going to be fun. And I'm going to be trying to work and watch a toddler at the same time so he's not quite a toddler yet which makes it worse i was gonna say he doesn't walk yet does he 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 can walk along the fence that's called creeping yes he can do that but he cannot be occupied he does not occupy himself he's not a toddler he's a creeper yeah and he has about 15 minute attention span where i don't have to be in the room before he's like wait a minute now i know i'm alone something's wrong so we'll see it'll it'll all work out it'll be fine huh Fletcher, you do anything fun this weekend? Nope. I stayed at home and I played. <laughs> well, I mean, I did things fun, but it was it was just, you know, me playing on the computer just basically all day today and yesterday. What are you playing? Uh, so I signed up for Apple Arcade. Oh, um, how's that? There's, it's really good. And I've been playing this game. It's called uh, Outlanders. And it's kind of like a SimCity meets The Sims kind of a thing. I don't know. It's pretty fun. And uh, I've been. You don't go back in time and bang a lot in Scotland. I think that's lost on us. Somebody out there just got a joke. Sorry, (laughs) listener who understood my reference, please email me so I don't feel so alone. So we. I'm really confused about that, but it's kind of like a. There's a book called Outlander, and it's Uh, just about oh, it can only be one. Lots of Scottish. No, that's That's uh, the Highlander. 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 Oh yeah. Well. 
debatable which one is better because they're they're both extremely uh campy on opposite ends of the spectrum but entertaining i'll watch either (laughs) so i all right all right Kitty, you've taken us off in a direction, but that's totally fine. I was going to ask if Apple Arcade is a yay or nay recommendation, but... um, <laughs> Yes, absolutely. Right. For five bucks, it's totally worth it. All right. I will have to check it out. I bought the remastered Spyro the Dragon trilogy, so that's what I've been doing. What I have... Uh, I'm just sticking with my mobile MMO for, for now, World of Kings, and... Yeah, I'm kind of waiting for the next Shard of Infinity expansion to come out on the iPad, because I like Shards of Infinity, uh, but on the iPad, I can just play, like, game after game after game. So, all right, should we get into an actual show topic? Yes. Yeah, right. let's do it. Woo. All right. So, this show topic came from Joe Rackstad, who emailed us, and I said, huh, this is a great question, and we should talk about it. So, the email goes along the lines of, um, well, he sort of just went right into it, but he's basically talking about the promises game publishers make. And he starts out with some examples. Kickstarter game. Now, because it will not be available in retail. Sometime later, the now announcing this particular game will be available in retail. Other example. The pre-order will last for four days. 36 hours later. Sorry, folks. Pre-order is sold out. He says many promises are made in the board game industry. Kickstarter exclusives, only available for pre-order. Game will not be by month or game will be released by a particular month uh shipping will be free however there are many bgg threads where people have complained about companies breaking these promises which promises do you rely on most if something claims that it's a kickstarter exclusive but is later available would that have changed your mind about kickstarting the project in the first place which promises don't bother you at all should companies even make promises and then he lists the games that have inspired these things those games being and I don't think we're calling them out. This relatively well known, but Seventh Continent was a game that was on Kickstarter, and you weren't going to be able to get it again. And then it wasn't going to be available in retail. But then they had a second Kickstarter, and now there's a retail version coming out. Uh, Century Eastern Mountains. This is the Century Golem Edition in the second version, which um, Plan B Games said would never happen, but. It did, and we'll talk about that. Why? Tapestry. This is the one where Stonemeyer said that there's going to be a four-day pre-order window, and it turned out it was a day and a half before they sold out. And then um, Unbroken, I believe... Eh, actually, I'm not sure what the complaint is by Unbroken. Maybe this is potentially by, you know, we're going to be released by this month, and it became another month or whatever the case is. So though that's that starts... That's all we have for show notes, is this here. So I have lots of opinions on this. My opinions on these things have changed over time, but I'm wondering where you guys are to start out this conversation. What do you think about, we'll just take the first one. Um, A Kickstarter says this is a Kickstarter exclusive, never going to come out again. And then two years later, okay, we're going to do a little mini Kickstarter and all these exclusives you're going to be able to get to again, or we're going to, or the game's going to be, you know, we're re-kickstarting it to release another edition of it, or basically just an excuse to release more of the same game. What is your guys' opinions on that? So I've noticed a lot of Kickstarters will use the, like, vague language of, this may not be available in retail, you could only have one chance. They don't make really firm promises of 
this will never be in retail. And Seventh Continent might be the exception here of promising that they won't go to retail and then breaking that. But I see a lot of Kickstarters are like, hey, we don't know what the demand is. We don't know if we're ever going to be able to do this again. If this is something you're interested in, this is your chance. And that seems totally fair and like just being straightforward with your customers like, hey, you know, we're a small company. We don't know what we're going to be able to do with this. But then there are some companies where you absolutely know it's going to be available in retail and they don't even bother trying to lie to you like Simon. So, yeah, well, and even as, some- as long as they're being like vague enough and pretty straightforward with their information, I think that's fine. I think trying to market their exclusivity, you know, makes people jump on board faster. So why not? Fletcher, what do you think? As long as they're being honest. Well, so I don't I don't buy any games on Kickstarter because I'm not a huge fan of the uh, urgency sales tactic. And <laughs> I don't suffer from like the FOMO of like, oh, no, I'm never going to get this game um, because I don't miss out what I don't know about. And there's plenty of great games out there that you can pick up at a store. So it doesn't it doesn't affect me in that way. Like, if I want a new game, I can just go to my local game store or, you know, sometimes even Target because they have a pretty decent selection of games and um, just pick out a new game that I want to get. And I'm absolutely fine with that. So I, I well, and that kind of goes to Terrence's email, which we'll talk about later. So I don't want to spoil that too quickly. But I'm, I think that all Kickstarters should stick with what I refer to as marketing language. The coulds, the shoulds, the mights, the no absolutes whatsoever helps cure cancer type of language um, may help, may help cure cancer. (laughs) Um, You know, because happiness is the best cure. Your support could help. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But when there are companies that basically say, and they have big, bold Kickstarter exclusive, whether that's on a particular piece or the entire game, does that change? Like, what do you feel about that when... So, the, a very specific example. Blood Rage came out about, oh, I want to say, five or six years ago now. And at the time, there were lots of Kickstarter-exclusive um, add-ons. Extra monsters, extra... Just bas- basically extra monsters, extra cards, those types of things. But recently, within the last couple months, they did a digital Blood Rage Kickstarter. And part of that was to... Part of, like, if you pledged, you could get some of the figures that were in that original exclusive campaign. So there are people that are upset saying, hey, wait a minute, this was a Kickstarter exclusive for the campaign that I backed five years ago, and now they're releasing these again. What What's going on here? Why Why is that happening? So what is your gut reaction on that? Is that wrong? Should Simon not have done that? Yes. And I know you don't like Simon, but... <laughs> so I think there's a difference between... A, like, this won't be available in retail, maybe, and a, this is a Kickstarter exclusive. But, to be fair, they said this is a Kickstarter exclusive. They didn't say this is a, this campaign only exclusive. <laughs> They're still you on Kickstarter. You can only back us on Kickstarter. <laughs> You're only getting it through Kickstarter. I mean, I get it. I do. But I hate this business model, and I always will. <laughs> selling Um, the like FOMO I must have this special rare thing that only I will be able to get because I'm like the coolest one in my gaming group I don't know makes me crazy I feel like it's exploiting people's like shopaholicness um completionist nature and 
wanting to be the cool kid and, you know, I, I don't know. There's, like, so many different, like, the only thing I can, like, there's so many itches that this scratches, but that sounds gross, but that's the only thing I can think of. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, without getting into the weeds on the Kickstarter model, because I don't really, we've we've had this conversation. Let's talk it about is a marketing tactic. We can't guys. do it again. We yeah. can't. No. Yeah. We, <laughs> but we can agree that it is a marketing tactic. For better or worse, oh, yeah. it is a marketing tactic. And the question here is, when they use that marketing tactic, when they say, this is an exclusive only for this campaign, and let's just put it to write that. There are no exceptions. The campaign, whatever it was, whoever it was, it was Gmon, the the good mini or not company. <laughs> they create a campaign that says, I, I think I broke Kitty, they, that says, <laughs> we will never, ever, in a zillion years, remake this model. You back this campaign, this is the only place you can ever get it. And then two years later, they say, oh, this model was so popular that we're going to sell it now for a limited time for $30 a model. And is that... So it's basically a broken promise. All the people who wanted it up front, paid for it, got it up front. Three years later, two years later, whatever time, now other people can get it. Who is being hurt by this? I mean... The people who paid initially? Are they? Only if they paid more, I guess. Like if they reduced the price. Well, it's hard because you don't usually know exactly what you paid for each part of a Kickstarter. You're paying a lump sum and getting a lot of stuff. So, you know, these people paid probably like over $200 to get all of the exclusives. Also, and now, yeah, yeah well, it might take, be, you know, let's take so the game. This was well, an add-on. It has, it has the, a... The uh, add-on was $30. The two years later, it's $30. So it's the exact same amount. Who's getting hurt by it? So those add-ons, you could you could argue that the X amount that they sold initially is above the... Th- like, they're worth more than the $30 face value because there was only yeah. X amount of them sold. So maybe they're worth like 100 bucks a piece. So if they I come out with say, a new it's printing, the selling them you've essentially the like lowered the cost or lowered the price of like the item that they had before. You're like devaluing that item. The person who is being hurt is the person selling it on the secondary market. Okay. Yes. So how much do we care? How much people- do I personally care? Uh, yes. How much do you personally care if someone who was doing what is speculative investment into this game piece that they felt like they could hold on to it for a couple years and sell it for a crazy amount later, but then it was being reprinted, so now they can't. How much do we care that that person is getting... Because I think we can all agree that that's really the only person being hurt in this particular situation. Well, I mean, there's more than just like, sure, there's the, like, we're attaching the monetary value to it. But besides the monetary value, because a lot of those people probably wouldn't like resell it anyway. There's like, oh, like, I have this rare thing that only, you know, a thousand other people have or whatever. The collector. But then they like re-release it and they're like, oh, well, now we just anybody could pick one up. And it's like, oh, I guess it's not that special anymore. So the, like it's an emotional investment that they have in some kind of piece or add on or, or whatever that's now like evaporated. That doesn't make you okay. feel good. OK. And again, I don't disagree with either of these, um, but now we're going to split those into separate things. The speculator. Spec- Is that the right term I'm using yeah. there? Yes. Mm-hmm. How much do we care if it. they are like their bottom line is hurt by that, especially if you're talking two years later, which 
there's other ones we'll get into other promises are a little bit more recent but a lot of these um kickstarter reprints are not right away well i mean like personally it's like it's it's written in the name right they're it's it's a speculate they're speculators like who knows maybe the maybe the price of it will go down right maybe it'll go up maybe nobody's gonna want it maybe this game was garbage right and everyone's like you just have that if you're in it just to resell it like you're not always gonna make the money yeah right and and i would argue right now it is a bad time to speculate into board games even the simon stuff like if you early simon um arcadia quest had a whole bunch of extra stuff and that stuff is still worth a lot of money because there weren't a lot of people that knew that what simon was doing at the time and knew that this stuff was going to be worth money but now every simon campaign has people buying multiple copies of things so they can sell them later and make a profit and when you have that the market is flooded there's not as many people that want it anyway and everyone who did want it knew that they should get it on kickstarter otherwise they might not be able to get it later so it's not a very good market to speculate anyway Yes. Now, outside the speculator, the emotionally injured person. I got this because it was an exclusive, so I could say, hey, look what I got. No one else has this. This is a special thing. This is the... And and just for the record, I have both speculated, and I have both been this person I'm, I'm describing right now, where it's like, I want this because, almost solely because, it is rare. Because it's limited quantity. And I'm going to treasure it because it is a limited quantity. And then I find out two years later, nope, not limited quantity anymore. It is freely available for everybody. Um, I can give a more specific non-CMON example for this one. Arkham Horror, the card game. Um, Fantasy Flight came out with an investigator's book for all their Arkham Files games, which is the same characters they use across all their Arkham Horror stuff. In that was a character for Arkham Horror, the living card game. That character has recently been released in the exact same everything in the current campaign set. Now, there was a, this character also sold these, these four cards sold on eBay just recently, like literally two days ago for like $68 for four cards for cards that already exist today. I wanted these cards so bad that I had a, a search set up on eBay because I'm like, these are rare. This is the only character I don't own. I bid for this without even thinking about looking into it. After I bid, I looked into it and said, oh, this is the exact same thing. I don't need this card. I already have this card. Fortunately, I was outbid. And so I didn't end <laughs> up spending a lot of money for a card I didn't need. But that type of thing. And in this case, FFG didn't really promise this wouldn't, but it was a promo. It was marked as a promo. It's numbered as a promo. And now anyone who had that, this promo isn't worth anything anymore, although someone did sell it for $68, so it's not like it's not worth anything at all. Is is this, this promo, this thing that you had to be in the right place at the right time to get, now that FFG has it out there for everybody, should the person who went seeking out, the person that six months ago bought this for $68, should they feel like FFG did them wrong? Like this should have been a different card when it was released in the main set. Because this was supposed to be a promo and it was supposed to be exclusive and it was hard to get. And like, how should someone feel about that? I understand this plate a little bit more. I still think it's um, it's hard for me because I don't get emotionally invested in... I get more invested in gameplay, not in game pieces. So I don't get caught up in this. I must have all the exclusives. But I do think... Maybe this example is not great because they didn't market it as this is the only way you'll be able to get this card. But 
yeah, it kind of stinks feeling like, oh, well, I, I went through all this trouble to get this to have like, what, six months of feeling special and now nothing. You couldn't just like change the art on one of them. Even if it's exactly the same mechanic wise, I couldn't have special fancy promo art. Come on. Yeah. I, I get that feeling. Yeah. Now, I do, granted- but I still think it's a little silly. Fletcher, do you have an opinion on this one? Uh, pretty much with Kitty. Like, I'm, I, it sounds like they didn't say specifically like this card. Like, you will only ever be able to get this card through this promotion. It didn't they didn't say that? They did not. No. So, but again, it's kind of like you went. People went through the effort or spent more money or whatever to get the card. Like, yeah, you could say like this is like the promo edition art, and then when we come out with the other standard, it's you get some other kind of artwork for the card or whatever, yeah. leaving the mechanics the same. Yeah. That way you no, can still kind of like feel special that you like spent the more money or went through the effort to like find it, get it. Yeah. You still have something that is different, even right. if it's mechanically the same. Yeah. So maybe we need to start doing it like the art world where they're all like numbered editions. Right. Well, this is numbered. <laughs> like there's only so many numbered in this print run. Well, all right. So this particular card, it has a promo, like the card numbers. Every card has a number in the bottom right corner or whatever. This one has a special promo numbering system. And then the one that was released with the main campaign has a actual numbers that go along with that campaign system. So it there is a distinction there, but it is You simply, can tell the difference. I yeah. think they're still... Yeah. yeah. And also the quality of the first card is really, really bad. Apparently it's, it's basically... <laughs> It's a print and play versus a manufactured, like a, uh, the quality of the car is just worse. But in any case, I was in a situation. So these are situations I've been in in both cases. And in the CMON case or in the Kickstarter exclusive case, when something else comes out and I've spent crazy amounts of money trying to collect all this stuff and all of a sudden it's just available, the value of what I bought is suddenly down. And at first that felt like, wait a minute, I, I, I paid a ton of money for this and now it's not worth as much as what I paid for it. And then it occurred to me, but I never planned to sell it in the first place. I wanted it to be part of my collection. I wanted it to, because I liked the game and I wanted to play it in the game. So yes, it's resale value has gone down, but I never actually planned to resell it. So it didn't really affect me at all. And now other people can actually get a hold of this in a much easier way than it was for me. So in order for me to feel bad about this, I actually have to be mad at other people who are able to get this easier than I did. So that that's not, I just don't think that's right. It's not right to be upset with letting other people play a game that I had, a, you know, I had the disposable income to buy. They maybe didn't, but now they could get this, but now I'm mad that they can get it. To me, that feels worse than the fact that I'm looking over and like, oh, I paid $100 for that set of figures and now it's worth $30. I, it's just, I don't know. When you think about it that way, I have a hard time being upset when these companies do that. When these companies say, hey, the secondary market for this is crazy. The company doesn't make anything on the secondary market. And their fans are the ones that are ending up paying more money for this stuff that they never really intended for it to be that much. They were promo items. They were, you know, to build hype. And they did that. But then it kind of gets out of control. And so when the company is like, well, we want to make our general fans happy, they're going to really upset the collectors. They're going to upset the speculate- speculators, the resale- resellers. And as a company... Those who have of- already bought resold yes. items. Exactly. 
And as a company, what do you do in that situation? You're like, look, we have all these fans that are really asking for this, but we're not going to because there's a ton of people that are making money on our stuff that we're not seeing any money, any profit from whatsoever, but they're going to be upset if we actually try to make our the mass, the majority of our fans happy by re-releasing this. What does a company do? Like, what would you do in that situation? I think that, I don't know, my solution is to make like subtle differences so that you can still tell the originals. They still have their exclusive nature. But if you want the gameplay elements, you can have like, so what is it? Um, the the movie monster game, you, horrific? Um, horrified. Horrified. There it is. Um, horrified. You bought a special promo piece version with a completely clear invisible man. Because he should be invisible. Yep. But the base game comes with him being a kind of bluey color. I think so. Bluey or purpley. Yeah. Yeah. So say that he was um, a Kickstarter exclusive in the clear color. You could only get the Invisible Man through Kickstarter. That was the only way you could get that creature. And then years later, well, everyone wants to play with the Invisible Man. That's when you get to release the blue character. And everyone else who wants to buy it, who wants to play with it, can have the blue character. But the Kickstarter exclusive people still feel special because they have the clear one. I think making like a distinction between the models still makes it feel like, well, you can have the exclusive, but you can't alienate people who just want to play. And and I think you're right. But what about when a company doesn't? What about when a company is hearing everyone's asking for the invisible figure? Should they not release that? I mean, everyone already has on... it. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think it was a dumb promise to make in the first place. I again agree. And I think companies are going to get more and more to the point where they they're not going to make promises they can't keep. No. Yeah. Um, but, but I don't think that there's a reason. The again, the reasons for not releasing it benefit are that a small somebody's going to get people. mad. Yeah, no, they they should do. They those should small just... people are going to get really mad, and they're going to stop backing their games. And those are the people who are probably spending, let's be honest, all those top tier dollars. Fletcher, what should they do? They should just take on like the, the like. It's simple and effective, and there's also like no promises around it. That like the Disney Vault method, where it's like, <laughs> like, we're releasing these characters for a limited a time, and then they're going to go back into the vault, and then you know that I they're going to the come Disney out with vault them method. again Great eventually, choice. but you don't know when that's going to be. So if you're really interested, you can get it now. Otherwise, you can wait an indeterminate amount of time and then buy them then. Yep. But again, Disney is not promising that they'll never come out again. Right. So really, I'm not looking for a solution here. I'm looking for... Unless it's the Song of the South. <laughs> the of the... <laughs> That's never coming out of the vault. <laughs> yeah. What I'm really looking at here is the company's already made the promise. They've already said they're never releasing Aladdin again. And then they go ahead and do it. Like, sh- th- my question is, should they never do it? Should they stick to those promises, regardless of what the fans are asking for, about what their customers are asking for? I think they should. If they made the promise, think, they should stick to it. I think they made the promise they should stick to it, but, you know, they're also allowed to do whatever they want. And I'm allowed to not buy their games if yeah. I think Which, that that's bad business. Yep. Well, I think that it's bad business to stick to the promise. I, I personally, and again, I've been screwed by this. 
in every which way. I am the type of person that will spend money to get the exclusive. I will back things because it says exclusive. And then they come out again and it's like, uh, okay, I guess I didn't really need to rush to do that. I have been like countless times screwed by this. I think it's terrible business. Well, number one, it's terrible business for the company to make these kind of promises, but it's marketing and I get it. But it is worse to have a game be successful and then to hamstring yourself to say, well, we made these promises. So for those 300 people that would be affected by this, even though there's thousands of people asking for it, we're not going to reprint this. That is terrible business. And well, if you I want mean, your, you, these companies to be in, stay in business, they have to be smart. You, you could argue that it's also terrible business for them to break their promise too, right? Because next time they come out with some kind of exclusive... People are going to be like, Nobody's yeah, right. I bought it. an exclusive last time and I two years later you release it. So no, it's not exclusive. You broke your promise. Which is fine. And some people will do that. But it's it's sort of the how many people are going to do that versus how many people are we going to make happy? How many new customers are we going to get? And everything you do, everything you do is is this balance of how many people are we going to upset versus how many people are we going to have as new customers. No matter what, companies are always doing this. New Coke versus old Coke, right? So they have to make these decisions. And I'm not saying they're not going to lose customers by breaking promises like this. But by allowing more and more people to enjoy their games, I think that that is actually going to be better for them in the long run. And I think that's why these companies really think about when they do this. Like most companies don't break these promises, but when they do, it wasn't just willy-nilly. It wasn't just because eh whatever we want to screw people over. It's well, I mean because- that's that's the allure of the dollar, right? Like like oh, this is going to be a limited run. It's like, oh, but there's so much pent-up demand and there's so much money that we could make if we just released it again. Uh well, we're only going to really make 500 people angry, but we're going to sell a lot more. So Let's just screw those 500 people and make, yes. make a lot more money. Yes. Yeah. And that- then they're going to sell, you know, like 3,000, whatever, make all that money. And then three years later, they're going to make 3,500 people mad. But they're <laughs> going to get, you know, 6,000 new customers. So it just keeps going. And I don't okay. know. I don't like this kind of game. So it's very easy for me to be like, bah. <laughs> Well, stupid. I, mean, <laughs> I, I think, I mean, if you think of a game company, if you think of, a, of a, a publisher as a nonprofit, they're really just trying to make a small number of people happy, then you guys are right. You're absolutely right. These companies should just do what they say and not worry about making money. And they won't have to because they won't be around the, the following year. It, they won't need to make anyone upset. They, they'll just fade away. If they want to stay in business, though, it is still a business. And they have to make these hard decisions sometimes. And it's not, does not feel good if you're on that leading edge. I was there for you at the beginning and you screwed me over. Did you? Did you really screw me over? I mean, you gave me exactly what I paid for. No, the only you thing you did, the exclusivity. you didn't get exactly what they you didn't paid for. Get, you didn't get what you paid for. You the, didn't get what the you paid for was to be special. Yeah. Okay. At the time. And they're taking away your specialness. <laughs> no, you've lost your specialness. You had something and you lost it. Yeah, they took you it had away the specialness. From you. Exactly. And they took Fine. it away from you. There is a value to being special that people put on there. And I think, you know, yeah, you can break this promise a few times, but the more you break it, the less people are going to care about your promises. And I and agree that with is you. a bad business model. I agree 
with you that there is a value to being special. But it goes back to my thing where if I were special and suddenly I've not, I am upset with this company because they wanted to make other people happy. And if that is why I am upset with this company, then that's on me. It really is on me. No, they, no. You are upset with this company because they lied to you. You don't care about the other people. You don't care why they <laughs> lied to you. You're mad because they lied to you. They told you a lie. No. I don't actually they didn't yes, tell they you did. a lie. No, they didn't. They said it's exclusive. They broke what a is promise. Exclusive? Yeah. They broke a that's promise that is different than a lie. I just want to be no, very clear. No, they said we're never doing this again. Yes. And then they did it. That so, seems like lying to me. <laughs> that's implicit in the exclusivity. Like we're hold on, hold on, hold on. Just to be clear, breaking a promise and lying are two different things. When you lie, you are lying about something that you know. Now, if they said, we are never going to release this again, and at the time, they already were planning on releasing it again, that's a lie. If they said, we're not going to release this again, and then two years later, they change their mind, that's a broken promise. It's a nuancey thing, but I don't feel like the company was being malicious. Like I, I think, think there's you a difference can say there. that the first time they do it, but I think if they keep doing it, it becomes a lie. Okay. Let's go to another one, another example, because this one is near <laughs> and dear to my heart. Actually, all of these are. Um, so Seventh Continent was never going to be available in retail. That was that was basically what they said. This game is too expensive to put into retail, so it was never going to appear there. The retail version of Seventh, Seventh Continent is not the same game that you could have gotten the Kickstarter. It is a stripped-down version. It's the same mechanics, it's the same cards, it's just a subset of those cards. The game was so popular, so successful, the demand was so high from distributors and game stores that they wanted this, that they said, okay, we will find a way of making a retail version. Is this wrong? Is it wrong for them to make a retail version of the game, which is different in in that it is a subset of the Kickstarter? Is that wrong? Is that bad of, I, I don't remember the publisher name, but is it bad for the Seventh Continent to have gone that route? No. Why? Because they didn't break their promise. The only way you could get the game that they were advertising was through Kickstarter. Okay. Sure, you can get a version of Synth Continent through retail now, but for exactly the reasons they told you in their Kickstarter, it's not the same game. I feel like they've been very transparent through every step of the process of like, hey, it turns out there's this huge demand. And, you know, these people who really want it and didn't get on Kickstarter, aren't going to get what you got. But they're going to get something like it. And that's fine. Okay. Fletcher? And they're probably paying about as much as you paid for your Kickstarter version. They're probably. And it's a little bit cheaper. For a pared-down version. Yeah. Retail, you have to be a little bit cheaper. But yeah. Because, well, the Kickstarter version had, I think, two to three times as many cards and components. I mean, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm with Kitty, like... If it's if it's like a stop light agreeing version with me, it's game. boring. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true, right? Like it, it is a different game. Yeah, it's not this. It, it is a similar game, but it's not the same game. So I mean, yeah. All right. Um. Fair enough. Not going to be belabor this one. The next one. So Century Spice Road comes out. It's a cube pusher. Change this colored cube into that colored cube. There's four colored cubes. Um, it's a simple game, easy to learn, quite a bit of fun. I enjoyed it. Century Golem Edition came out, and this is the exact same game, but it looks stunning. Big plastic gems instead of cubes. The art is colorful and has all these like cool little golems, and it's like everything about the game just looks stunning. 
it was a surprise at Gen Con that this would even exist. No one, no one knew about this. And at first, their first thing when this came out is this is a limited edition convention only version of the game. Okay, fine, fair. Everyone's like, oh man, if I wasn't at the convention, I couldn't get it. And tons and tons of complaints about the fact that just because I wasn't at these conventions, I couldn't get this game. So I don't know, A, right there, you can say, was that fair or not? But what Plan B decided to do is like, okay, fair enough. We will release this to retail so you can get it from wherever. But we're not going to do, this was a trilogy. Century was a trilogy from the beginning. But we're not going to do a different, like a second Gollum game. This is the only, it's a one-off thing, not going to happen. Two years of people constantly asking them to give them another version of this game. They want the second version of the game. They want the third version of the game. Two years goes by and finally like, okay, fine. You've asked enough. We'll give you the second version of the game. So now Century Eastern Mountains comes out, which is Century Gollum Edition with the, the second version. Now people are upset that they're doing that because Plan B for two years was saying, no, this is a one-off thing. We're not going to do this. We're not going to do this. So now people are upset primarily because they're like, well, if you wanted the second and third versions of Century, you had to get the wooden cube version. If you just wanted the first one, you could stick with the Gollum edition. But if you told us that the Gollum edition was coming to come out, we wouldn't have bought the cube one because we really just wanted the Gollum edition. So that's why people are upset. Maybe a legitimate reason. But ultimately, this entire time, I do not believe Plan B had any plans to print this. I don't think they wanted to. I think it was overwhelming demand that forced them into this situation. Was this right or wrong for them to create this game and presumably the third one next year? It was wrong for them to make that business decision. Why would you do that? (laughs) For the same reason. We want this game to fail. Please stop liking it. (laughs) Yeah. But this was the same thing, right? It was it's a marketing thing. We are going to make this one-off copy. It's just going to be something special for people at conventions. That's how it started. Very innocent. There was no malice involved. It wasn't like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to create turmoil in the gaming market around this game. It's going to be amazing. No, they were trying to do something nice for their supporters and their fans. Well, see, I don't think they were trying to do something nice for their supporter and their fans. They were trying to do a surprise at Gen Con because it didn't seem like they advertised ahead of time. It didn't seem like... If you're a big fan of this game, you can pre-order this copy. It seemed kind of like a they didn't know what they had their hands on and have messed up every step since. And that's <laughs> just bad business. I don't think there's a I don't know. It's a more complicated thing and you know, at least I feel like they tried to keep their promise, but I feel like it once again like be careful what you promise. Like, Again, that's the biggest lesson of this episode is like, as a company, not looking for what they could promises. have done. Not I know. Because they, they're not going to make this mistake again, but that's not what they, it's not what they could have done. It's what they did. It's what they did. It's breaking that promise was breaking that promise wrong. And I mean, you can't even really say it was a promise. It was just basically what the company line was no, we're not making another copy of this. I don't know. I don't think these were, I don't, it, it doesn't feel the same as a Kickstarter exclusive to me because it wasn't advertised and available to the wider market. It was supposed to be like a convention thing. And for a convention promo, it seemed too much for that. Like, I can't think of another game that has done something like this. Eh, there's been a few where it's like, this is the convention version. Um, it's sort of like the special edition version type of thing. 
Yeah, but almost all special editions you can like buy at Target. Like yeah. they come out. Well, <laughs> I, I mean, don't know. Don't get me wrong that this was definitely something that most companies would never have done. Create an inc- totally different themed game of a successful game that they're not going to put any hype into and they're only going to have it at the convention. Like no company had done this before. That was just such a weird decision. It's hard to like wrap your head around any decision to be made after that. Cause like, did they even make a promise like that this was a convention exclusive or did they just say, this is the only place you can get it now? It, did they say for now or did they say ever? I don't know. Like, so did they it started- say anything (laughs) so and it's really hard because for this particular thing it's hard to see where any of these things were sourced from um essentially like again this is another game where i was involved in every aspect of this from the first time i saw it i'm like oh man that looks amazing i must have a copy like is this going to be available in retail? It's like, no, you can only get it at the convention. So this is what the person at the booth told me. I don't know how much they're associated with the company. This is just what they told me. So I'm like, okay, I want a copy. Then a few months later, probably about a year, almost a year later, I saw it in retail. And I'm like, awesome, it's in retail. Maybe they're going to make the next version of it because this is like my favorite mm-hmm. version of the game. Next convention I go to, hey, are you going to make the next version of this? No, no, no. It's just a one and done. It's just going to be this. Century is going to be the wooden cube version for the other three. A year later, oh, we're announcing Century Eastern Mountains, which is the version I'd, I'd been asking for over and over. Every time I see these guys at conventions, I'm like, you need to make this next version. For me, they made me happy by doing this, even though they were telling everyone else, no, we're not going to. And they were telling me, they, no, they're not going to. But so many people were asking them that they did it. I think this is a good company thing. I think breaking promises sometimes is better for the company's customer than saying, no, sorry, we said we weren't going to do it. So now we're stuck there. Well, so like in this example, I agree with you, Chris, like like they came around to like the good business business decision it seems like they made a series of like dumb business decisions for who knows what reason it's like they should have planned it from the beginning like been cagier like surprise launch of this game for right now you can only get it at the convention will it be available in retail we don't know maybe but if you're really interested you should pick up this game now Yep. Well, and this is actually one of the things that um, that Joe had mentioned here was guaranteeing that a game would ship by a certain month and then missing that date. More often than not, publishers, like the smart ones, will never tell you what their release date is until the game is actually through customs because anything can go wrong and it's completely out of their control. And then people get upset. Well, why don't why aren't game publishers more upfront about when games are going to be released? Well, because if they are. They get held to the fire when something goes wrong and they can't hit that date. This is why. like, The reason people getting so outraged about companies not holding to what they're saying is the reason you don't get information from them. It's the reason it is dangerous to share any information with the masses until you know it's already done. And it's a it's a line that everyone has to walk. So if you want to be upset that a company missed their ship date, you can be upset about that. But you, it's really on the masses for saying, no, 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 you have to make me a promise of when I'm going to get this. I don't know. Like, that's what a lot of companies say. We don't know. This is what we're hoping. So I think, I mean, I don't know if this is a Kickstarter only thing. Like, I think in retail, most companies don't announce that it will be released 
until it is like already manufactured and ready for distribution. They don't hype up while it's still in production very often. It depends on the company. So if they are doing it that way, I think that's not a great business model because in retail, no matter what, they're putting their money up front for it. And I think that that's like hyping before you have your hands on the project can only lead to negative things for you as a company. Well, and I think that's what your problem with Kickstarter is because that is Kickstarter's business model. It is we're going to hype this. Well, no. So I was going to give Kickstarter a dip because that's completely different. Retail versus Kickstarter, completely different models. And I do think on Kickstarter, the vague is best. Like, you don't want to say, oh, it will be here by June unless you have really secretly already manufactured these games or something or working around Kickstarter. Even if it's just like, oh, we have the game ready to go, we just have to send it to the printer, manufacture it, and get it. Unless you're working with a U.S. printer, going through customs is going to be tricky, and you never know what's going to happen. I completely agree with you there. And almost everything that I have backed on Kickstarter says, so we put this shipping date in here. We anticipate it being earlier than that, but it could be later. And there's just like this huge swing of anything could happen in this Date. There could be a problem with the printing. There could be shipping issues. There could be so much going on, and we'll keep you updated. And upfront, honest companies like that, I don't see a lot of people complaining. It's the people who go out and make the promise of the month that people get super mad about. So I don't think you have to be cagey and we don't give you any information. I think you can also be really upfront and we'll give you all of the information, like, check out what this printer did to our cards. We have to get this fixed. What a crazy mistake. Ha ha. What so, a business. And and again, I, I agree with everything. Like, that's what a company should do. But when a company's late, their mistake was not that they're late. Their mistake was telling you anything at all in the first place. And I ultimately, uh. all of this comes down to telling you anything at all in the first place. Short of the Kickstarter exclusives, <laughs> which are a marketing ploy. So, yeah. you know... And we will, Terrence's email is coming up, I promise, which will relate to this. But I want one more of the examples here, because this one is a very recent one. And this Stonemaier Games has a new game out, uh, which I don't think is officially released into stores yet. But it was available for pre-order at the beginning of September. And if you listen to the Dice Tower News, I told you multiple times, if you want this game, it's going on pre-order at this time and this date, you need to go and do it right then. But Jamie from Stonemaier Games said, we're going to have a pre-order window for four days. Opening up the pre-orders for four days, just those four days, then we're closing pre-orders, and then those people will get their, their game, and everyone else will get it in retail like six weeks later. Well, the amount of games that were available sold out in 36 hours. So the four-day wasn't – it was it was a day and a half. It wasn't That's four days. That's not a pre-order then. So, well – Well, I do think they were upfront with, we are going to open the pre-order for four days or until we hit 10,000 copies or whatever the number was. Yep. So And I, and I and think if I, that's fine. Yeah. And if I go back and I look at it, like the number of copies that were available were yes. And, and Fletcher, you're right. It's not necessarily a pre-order because – it's the games are already ready to be shipped out. That's why there was a limited number on them. It's why just, didn't they just say? Why didn't they just say we have ten thousand copies? Go! Like who cares if honest, it's four days? Because if you put honestly, a time limit on it, it's like oh, I can do it on the fourth day and get one. It should well, be there like, were two reasons. <laughs> okay, so there's 
two reasons there. One Both bad. Uh, well, <laughs> one you don't know how many um, copies are going to get sold. So if you say there's ten thousand copies go, and only two thousand copies are sold within the time that you need to actually start sending these out, then you have to cut it anyway. Two, having that window is it it creates a certain amount of hype along with everything else. Again, a lot of this stuff is marketing. Almost all of these weird decisions companies make are marketing decisions. And Jamie has a blog and he tells you that the very next day, well, the day that he had to cut off pre-orders, his next blog post was a blog post called Damned If I Do, Damned If I Don't. Because he had a similar issue with Wingspan where he didn't announce well, the pre-order window and those also sold out. So here he's like, I'm going to give you a window. I'm going to tell you what it is. I'm going to tell you how many copies there are. And, you know, if this is how many copies and and the window, whatever comes first, that's going to stop it. But everyone just heard, oh, four days. So I, I don't have to rush into it. That's a consumer problem. And honestly, I don't know. I can say Wingspan. Wingspan, I completely understand. Brand new designer, unheard of in the industry, bird art. <laughs> how do you know that this is going to be a runaway hit? How do you know? But this game... This has been hyped for so long. This is the big no. new thing. No. Oh, well, no. I don't know. Maybe I'm hyped. just hearing it from you. It was hyped it's for It's been on the Dice Tower news for months, four it feels weeks. like. Four we- I felt like it because I had it in the news every week because I knew it was going to be a big thing. But it was – so the way that this was announced – and Jamie is very clear that all of his marketing, he he's just trying different things to see what works. And for this, he announced that there was going to be a new game. And then over that week, he announced what the game was. And then over the next, I think there's like two or three weeks leading up to the pre-order window, he was giving kind of like hints and designer blogs and what this game was. There was a review embargo. People had the game. They could talk about the game, but they could show you how to play the game after like two weeks, but they couldn't tell you their opinions on the game until the pre-order window opened up. And at the very beginning of the pre-order window, they could give you their opinions. So there was. He tried doing everything he could, but again, this is a civ-building game, and like, who knows how well it's going to do. Um, and he's had games fail. Everyone's like, well, it's Stonemaier. Of course it's going to be great. He's like, no, that that doesn't work. Like, about every other game he puts out fails. So he can't make the assumption that just because he's publishing it, it's going to make, you know, sell thousands Yeah, of you copies. don't want to assume you're King Midas. That's, yep. Yeah. It's foolish. But I do think, because um, I follow him on Twitter, and... I caught the, it's four days, or I think it was 10,000 copies. I think it's 10,000, yeah. remembering off the top of my head. And like, I don't know. And I think that's a perfectly fair way to do that. And he stuck by his guns. And everything I've known about him is that like, yeah, he gets the numbers wrong sometimes, but he does everything he can to get as many games into people's hands as possible because that's how he makes money. He's not trying to create like false scarcity. He's not trying to do this. It's just a hard numbers game to play. You never know what's going to be a hit. You never know what's going to be super popular. I do think that this seems a little absurd because I've heard about it and it is not something I actually <laughs> care about at all. <laughs> so maybe I'm just... You know, it's uh, well, what your personal information bias because I knew. Doesn't everyone know? You know? Yeah. Well, and and in his defense, he does 
he does he he tries everything he can to make sure people are happy, but he also never at least in from what I've seen anything that's exclusive is not exclusive forever. It's you can get it earlier. So I'm part of his yeah. champions club. So I get emails ahead of time saying, "Hey, you have first dibs in pre-ordering things." It's an annual membership. It comes with free shipping on any game you buy from them, and to me it's worth it because I like being in the know on it and if there's a game that's interesting, I get first dibs on it. And you get a lot of games. So honestly, right. that free shipping probably pays it helps. <laughs> quite a bit. But Because shipping on games is absurd. It's not cheap. But just because I get it early, that's the only benefit I get. Everything I could get from him is available later. And he reprints mm-hmm. stuff all the time. So for him, I, it's, I don't know, for something like Tapestry, it's like, you will be able to get a hold of it. Um, in fact, I might give away a copy of Tapestry in the next four weeks. So um, if you're listening now, we were we were going to do something to give away, because I have two copies of Tapestry, because that was the limit. And I figured, this one's going to sell out. I should probably get one for the podcast. We have many Tapestries. <laughs> <laughs> this is another... Uh that always gets Chris. I don't know if this has just like become a like Chris's marketing employee weaknesses episode. Limit two. Because if you the limit two, if you say, would you like to buy this game? Chris is like, yes, give me one copy. If you say, would you like to buy this game? There's a limit of two. He's like, I need two copies <laughs> every time. It's oh, so there's ridiculous. There's <laughs> a limit must get. Must this is like limit. me and butter at the grocery store. Limit four, it must be a good deal. That's a, that's Taking a great all the butter home. Uh, sales tactic. Like limit two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm going to buy twice as many as I would have otherwise then. Well, yeah. and this is a great segue into Terrence's email and question, which ties all this together fairly well. And he's talking about FOMO, which we've mentioned a couple times here. He's like, I know one of the main motivations on backing versus various Kickstarters is FOMO, as in fear of missing out. Is there a way to quantify FOMO? We know what a Kickstarter costs. By how much would it cost if we did miss the Kickstarter? I recall it all started for Chris with Arcadia Quest and his quest to collect all the figures that he missed from the early campaigns. But really, if you were to balance the cost of those against all the games he backed out of FOMO, would it work out? And basically what he's saying here is, let's say I back three games because maybe these are going to be the next hit. And each one of those games is $200. So I've now spent $600. One of those games is actually a hit. And it's a game that oh, I really, really want it. And I can go to eBay and I can buy it for $300 there. By not backing these games out of FOMO and only backing the ones that I really want and paying a premium on them, I will actually end up saving money overall. Thoughts? I'm just upset that you cut out the best part of this email. Was it the ahem part? (laughs) It's the title of the email. Oh, what's the title of the email? Thank you all, but mostly Kitty. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Sorry. Um, But back to the real question. (laughs) (laughs) I would be so interested if somebody could actually somehow do this math and like come up with a a real number of what does FOMO cost. Because I bet it's a lot. I bet with Kickstarter and games, it is a ton. Well, Fletcher hit on it at the beginning where he can't miss out on something he doesn't know about. Yep. Yep. And I have found that since we started doing DTM, it makes you a happier person. Yes. I, I hate to admit it, but yes. Not knowing every hot game that's going to be coming out or might come out 
has changed my perspective on the games that I own now. And I can appreciate those more than always just wanting this next game that I don't have, haven't played, versus the games that are downstairs that I could just grab and play right now if I just stop paying attention to the ones that I want versus the ones that I have. So for me, this last year has been a peeling myself away from staring at Kickstarter on a daily basis to the, I look once a week and I look at I'm judging a book by its cover type of thing. I don't feel obligated to back the things I talk about on DTN. I'm just talking about my initial impressions of it. And unlike what we were doing at the beginning, where backing two or three games a week, because I figured if I'm going to talk about them, I should put my money where my mouth is. That was expensive and unnecessary and has led to about 300 games being given away at Gen Con in the last three years. So we're not doing that anymore. Don't worry. We're still having a Gen Con. We'll still still be games to give away. It's just not going to be so absurd. It'll still be absurd. Don't be ridiculous. (laughs) It'll be absurd. Because of the limit too. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting though, because I still really love browsing Kickstarter, but I never backed the same way you did. You became a super backer eventually. I am a super backer. I am a super backer, but I don't back anything because of the exclusives. I back it because it looks like a good game. I want to play it. I'm interested in it. And I want to support the people who are making it so they make more games like it. Sometimes you say insightful things. And I think that that was a very insightful (laughs) thing. (laughs) And I think it, it goes to this whole conversation we've been having where if you're up upset because an exclusive was re-released for whatever reason, ask yourself why you backed it in the first place. If you backed it for the gameplay, you're probably not that upset. You probably don't care. If you backed it because it was exclusive, then I agree with Fletcher in that the company has essentially sold you one thing. You thought you were buying one thing. Even if that was all on you, you thought you were buying exclusivity and then it's it stopped being that. It's equivalent of saying, I thought I was buying a good game, and it, and it turned out to be a bad game. We don't get upset about that, though. But we do get upset about, I thought I was buying something that was exclusive, and it turns out it wasn't exclusive. And I, and I get it's it's a little different. Yeah. This is more like, this is like Wish.com. I thought I was buying the image, but instead I got a weird knockoff of the image. Right. <laughs> Have you ever bought anything off Wish? No. no what is Wish.com? Don't. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Googling. All right, hold on. I'm going to I need to send you a really good YouTube video that will really sum it up for you. But Wish is a weird Chinese website in which they look at a picture and say, "Well, we can make that." And then they make what they think is that, but it's not that. And they send it to you. So, yeah, you can buy a wedding dress for $75, but it's it's not like the picture. <laughs> well, if you're going to talk about links, now you have to put it in the notes so I can put it in the notes. Okay. I have a really great YouTube <laughs> of this girl trying on wish wedding dresses. Is this like a expectation versus reality kind of thing? Yes. Okay. Oh, All this right, website, well, before... you have to like sign up just to like look at it. I hate those. Before we go too really? far off the rails here, <laughs> let's sum up <laughs> this episode. Um this was an interesting conversation, and and I think it's worth thinking about, regardless of how you feel about it one way or the other. Um, and I understand, like, everybody, 
everybody feels the way they feel about it. And everyone's going to be upset for one thing or another. Um, the one thing I have learned with my wisdom in, in my aging is that you can never, and this isn't really that insightful, but you can't make everyone happy. You can try. You can try to make as many people happy as you can, but someone is always going to hate you for what you did. Like, it's almost a universal thing. So game publishers, if you're listening, do what your customers are asking you. And if they're all asking you not to release something, by all means, don't release it. But I don't think that people should be held to making bad decisions for a very vocal minority. I, I just think that's bad business. And I would rather a good company stay in business than a good company keep its promises and fade away. That's, But that's my take on it. I think my take is if you got burned by we made something exclusive and then had to reprint it later, don't promise that anything is exclusive anymore. Yeah. Learn from your mistakes. Because I feel like some of these companies make the same mistakes over and over and over again. Yep. Fletcher, have you learned anything besides you agree with Kitty? Uh, <laughs> don't buy exclusives. <laughs> I like exclusives. All right. That is about as enough of that as we could talk about. Um, GameholeCon. So we have some updates on GameholeCon. We are not going to have a booth at GameholeCon this year, mostly because I just didn't have the time and energy to create one. And Kitty is not able to come to GameholeCon this year because Fletcher wasn't going. And she said, if Fletcher's not going, I'm not going. <laughs> um, oh, wait, no. And what's Spencer, even Spencer, the sorry. I- <laughs> <laughs> You're the only one that confuses Fletcher and Spencer. All right. Um, but in any case. <laughs> but yeah, Spencer Spencer switched jobs and um, vacation time concerns made it impossible for us to get there. But Because you and can't I- go to a convention as a single person with a toddler. <laughs> yeah, that's it's tricky. Um, but Sydney and I will be there without Zachary because um, Sydney's parents are amazing and are taking him for the weekend. And you didn't burn them out with a ten day trip to London. <laughs> and I did not. But and I have several emails that I'm hoping to get back to for everyone this week. So if you're going to be in Game Holcon and I haven't responded to you by the end of the week, um, email me again. It's just because I missed it. What we're what Sydney and I are going to do, our whole thing is just going to be setting up as many different games with listeners as we can. Uh, there's a number of board games that I have that I want to get played. Tapestry is one of them. And there's a few others. And if you guys have games you want to show us, by all means, we want to play them as well. So that is are going to be our plans for game Holcon. we will be there um we just won't have a table so if you're there i think the best way to get a hold of us is a direct tweet to me so at game master chris i get those i get any direct tweets right away um if you do email or any other method it's possible i won't see it until after we're back or just email me ahead of time and make sure i respond and we set something up so that is our game Holcon news i think that's our last convention for the year yeah. There's a couple Keyforge tournaments we're going to, but people are sick of me talking about that. So we'll, <laughs> we'll move on. Um, you can follow us on Facebook at slash Tabletop Game Talk Podcast. Twitter is at Tabletop Game TLK. Kitty is Awful Good Mom. Fletcher is Net Fletch. I am Game Master Chris. You can leave us an iTunes review because those are really cool or Apple Podcasts. And you can also help us out at tabletopgametalk.com slash Patreon if you want to support us that way. 
Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Thanks for listening, and remember, we love your feedback. So email us with comments or questions about today's topic at feedback at tabletopgametalk.com. And a huge thank you to our patrons, Adam Harrison, the SCC, Jason Strong, Terrence Miltner, Stephen Seitz, Brian, Arnold, Shumpy, Kelly, C. Marie, Rudy, Lou, Benjamin Heimowitz, Jerry Wong, Stephen Phillips, Kayla O'Brien, Jennifer Engelbrett, Justin Willard, Christopher Dong, Jason Marks, Jeremy Fisher, David Radke, Nick Quickstra, David Sellers, Jason Rodney, Michael Yanikowski, Miles Clark, Cindy Lum, Phil Schwartzel, Ann Reynolds, Eric Huffman, Adrian Dong, Nate, Faz Flintham, Sean Peck, Eric Selander, Mike Smith, Trevor Davis, Tim Verdig, Chris Lowe, Joe Hoover, Timothy Gross, Glenn Cotter, Jesse Wilkowiak, Emil Jewel Jacobson, Marina Stevens, Brady Meltzer, Gregory Huber, Don Gilstrap, Stephen Judd, Leanne Verholst, Christopher Letgo, John Lewis, Joe Rackstad, Ron Nelson, Neil McLaughlin, Sahara Wentworth, Weatherman Keith, Nicholas Lotz, Agnes Toth, and Paul Raymer. Until next week, keep playing games and having fun. You're getting so much better at reading those names. <laughs> it only took a hundred episodes or whatever. <laughs> no problem. And next week I'm going to switch up who's reading what again because I keep forgetting to do that. So Fletcher gets more practice with the same names. <laughs> Honestly, the ones at the end are the newest ones. So they are. They're the hardest. Yeah.